Good morning. I know, huge letdown. Last week we had weddings up here. Keith was wearing a suit and you got me in my Fred Meyer shirt. So welcome to Rock Harbor. Um, no, last week we had um, some cool vow renewals going on on stage as part of our um, love chapter talk of Corinthians. And um, what's funny is um, Steve and Roxanne Drury, who, what, they've been married for like 48 years. They renewed their vows last week. And they were standing side stage here, um, and I said, hey, Steve, honeymoon night. And he's like, that's what I'm talking about. I was like, uh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have asked that. But um, yeah, it's great. So uh, you guys are still staring at my shirt. Like, I'm serious. Fred Meyer, okay? Where else can you go, get a coffee, go get something off the 60% off rack, and then go still have time to, to drink your coffee in one of the recliners, right? Yeah, and then some of you put your kids in there, and you go drink your coffee. I know how, I know how it works. Um, but hey, we've been sharing a lot about um, the Rock Harbor Hub venue, and I've, I've been the, the leading our group's ministry here for the past four years, um, and now I'm going to be heading over to the Hub. And so um, we've been talking a lot about that. If you haven't heard, just a little bit of the details behind that um, is we're just trying to create more space here, um, and you can see there's chairs here, right? There's some, well, these are reserved, so you guys probably didn't get your front row seats. Um, but we're trying to create some space here for another person, and especially in our kids' environments, um, that's a big part of it as well. And so, um, so that's what we're doing. We're making a second location for Rock Harbor for people to attend there. Um, we're going to have a live band and um, live worship, and then we're going to do a video teaching, which is why you see these cameras and why you guys back there can't see me anymore because you're looking at the back of these huge cameras. So um, thank you guys for sitting back there. Um, but we're going to be doing that. It's going to be great. Today we have our... Um, our, our next hub venue uh, kind of core launch team meeting is for anybody that is saying, yes, I'm going to that. I want to be part of the launch um, at two o'clock today at the hub. And if you've got questions, I would say this is a great time for you to come to. If maybe if you're just like, hey, we're, we've been talking about it. We haven't really fully decided on that. Um, a great time to come and just help you kind of make a more educated decision um, about that. So Back in June, um, Scott Harrop sat me down in his office. He called me into his office two days before I was heading to Panama with my wife on our uh, missions experience. And so he calls me in there and he says, hey, I want to see if you would um, just consider and pray about um, leading this hub venue thing. And uh, if you know Scott, you know he's one of the sharper tools in the shed at Rock Harbor here. Uh, you know, he waits until like a day before I'm going to this mission trip where I'm probably going to be more surrendered to God and, and more broken for Jesus than ever in my whole life. Um, and then I come back, you know, and he asked me, hey, just pray about this, this opportunity. And I come back and he asks me, hey, so what do you think? And I'm like, yeah, like I really, really had a choice in this whole matter, right? Um, but I was feeling good. I was feeling honored. I was feeling humbled to be part of it. And, um, and, but I'm starting to kind of see why they're, they're trying to get me to go to the hub. I think I'm figuring it out. I was accidentally CC'd on an email last week that Keith sent to Dana, who's our office administrator. And I don't think I was supposed to see this, but I, I'm going to read it to you guys. Um, I don't usually share emails from stage. I don't think that's something we generally do, but I, I want you guys to help me figure out what this actually means. So, okay, here we go. This is what Keith said, and I'm not making this up. Keith wrote this email. Dana, would you put on the church calendar for October 21st that Brandon will officially be at the hub venue? I'd like us to have a huge block party at Rocky with an Air Force flyover, a DJ, along with Disney princesses, a professional mountain bike team doing wheelies and tricks, a hot air balloon, all-you-can-eat pulled pork, lots of guacamole. Heck, let's have at least eight taco trucks there also as part of a huge party for Brandon no longer being at Rocky on Sundays. <laughs> oh, man, I've read it so many times and I still laugh. Um, he said we can call it Brands Done. That's, that's, that's what we're naming this event. 
Um, and he said, I will, work, I will get Chris working on a graphic and the mailers that we're going to send the entire community for this epic day. So I just don't know how to take that, I guess. I mean, I feel like that's kind of a waste of money, you know, to spend on all that stuff just because you're mourning my loss. I, I guess that's, yeah. So, but he had to say taco trucks. I mean, that's what cut the deepest, the taco trucks. Um, oh, by the way, we're going to have a taco truck at the Hub every Sunday. Um, so if you like tacos, come on over. No. Um, but if I'm being honest about the Hub, um, yeah, we're excited. My wife and I are really excited. But there's, there's a sense of loss in it as well. Um, we've been here since Rock Harbor was eight months old. Um, and there was one service, and right where those cameras are, there was a, a sheet of curtains that went all the way across to prevent you know, the, the, the hundred people that are here from sitting all in the back. Um, and, and just being part of that and just, just watching God grow this thing and just the growth that we've um, experienced here at Rocky and the, fam- our, the growth that my family's had. We've, we've, um, our, our family's grown here. We've, we've had some pretty incredible relationships that we've met here. And part of the tough part about that is, you know, with the busyness of life, we realize that we um, see a lot of those friends on Sundays. And so, so there is some loss in it. It's not all um, excitement. I know I stand up here and say, yes, this is going to be great. Um, but there's also a sense of loss in it. And I think that's just multiplication um, in general. It can really stink sometimes um, multiplying, you know, because you're, you're changing what you're comfortable with. There's change. There's bringing in the new. Um, and I love change, said nobody ever, right? Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we're at. But what I can say is as we've prayed through this and just um, as the excitement's built, it's, it's just thinking about the, the people that will be able to um, sit in these seats. And I know a bunch of you, I can look at some of your faces, and I know some of you guys are going, um, the seat that you're sitting in is going to be filled by somebody to hear the gospel. And if that person gets to experience the community that we've, that we've felt here, um, it makes it all completely worth it. I've said this three times now, and you think I wouldn't cry, but gosh dang it. Um, well, that's what it's about. Um, God blesses multiplication. We've seen him do it um, when we planted Stonehill. You know, we sent out 300 people, and it wasn't like we picked out all the ones we wanted to leave. It was all of the great ones, you know. It's like seeing all these people go, um, and that was tough. I mean, it's tough to send out um, the people that you love and that you've been in community with. And so, um, but God blesses it, and Stonehill's running 900 people now. Uh, not that it's all about numbers, but it's about people hearing the gospel. And so that's why we're doing it. Um, and so today we're going to be in First Corinthians, and we're going to be actually be talking about the gospel. It's kind of um, perfect and fitting. And so um, we've been talking about uh, these Corinthians, and these, really these are just normal people who um, have, have professed faith in Jesus. They've put their trust and their belief in him, but they keep kind of getting derailed off course. And so Paul, all throughout Corinthians, we see him trying to just bring them back. He's bringing them back, and he's point them, pointing them back uh, to the gospel. Uh, they're arguing about, you know, early on when we first started, they were er- arguing about who's the best leader. This is who we follow. I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos and um, all of that. Um, they're arguing about the gathering. What is the gathering supposed to look like? Uh, John Link shared about that. Um, you know, they're arguing about what gifts should be used within the gathering. Um, and, and Paul's saying, hey, that stuff's great, but let's focus on the gospel. Let's have unity around the gospel. And so that's what he's, he's doing here today. Um, I'm, I'm excited about this. He's, what's cool is the way that he does this. I, I think what I'm excited about the most is for you in this room who would say, I'm a skeptic. Um, you who, you'd say, you know, I've had a hard time believing all this stuff. Um, I, I've doubted, and I would put me in that category too. I've, faith hasn't always come easy to me. 
Um, I, I didn't grow up with this childlike faith that, that some people um, get to experience. And, uh, you know, so kind of fumbling through faith, fumbling through figuring out what I believe. And I have a hard time with this whole blind faith thing of just trusting in something that I can't see. And so I think this is going to be a, a cool day for some of us in here who have been skeptics. And the reason being because Paul, he appeals with reason. He appeals with facts. Um, he appeals with uh, history, and that's what we're going to dig into a little bit today. He's, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, if you've been following along, you know that I just skipped chapter 14. Uh, we're going to go backwards, and we're going to hit that next week. So don't, don't freak out on me, okay? Um, we're going to be in verses 1 through 19. Um, I'll read some, and then we'll stop, and we'll chat about it. It's really good stuff, so stick with me through it. Um, it's actually one of, the, one of the probably most significant treatments of the resurrection anywhere else in the Bible. So it's kind of a special place to be in. Um, and also kind of, we'll call it an Easter message midway through the year. How's that sound, right? Um, so let me pray before we jump in. God, I just thank you um, for the history that's in your gospel, the history that's in your word, um, the history of your resurrection. And uh, I just pray that you would just use it today um, as we dig in to strengthen our belief in you today. And um, for those like me who, who've been skeptics and have doubted whether this is all a big hoax or not, I pray, God, that you would come into that. We invite you into it. I know you know our hearts, you know my heart, and we're not going to try and hide anything, um, but God, we invite you into that today, and we want to just honor you um, and your word and submit ourselves to you and the truth of whatever we're going to pull out of there today, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So verse 1, Paul kicks right into it, and he says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was, it says buried, I always want to, I want to say buried, it's spelled buried, but I've heard it's buried, so I, I'm sorry, that messes me up every time. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures, and that he appeared. I'm going to stop at about five and a half there. Verse five and a half, and, and go back and say what Paul says in verse one is he starts out by saying he's reminding them of the gospel, and I think it's important that we that we understand what that means because for him to remind them of something is they had to know something. So this is something they already knew, they experienced it, and I, we have to know something to forget something, and we have to forget something in order to be reminded of something. You guys still with me here? Right? Yeah. And so Paul's saying, "What did you guys forgot? You've experienced this. I've taught you this already. You received it." And I think what they did there in forgetting, I think is something that we do all the time. I think we are habitual forgetters. We habitually forget, especially the things of God, the things that he's done in our lives, in our hearts, the things that can only be explained by saying only God could do that. We habitually forget. I mean, we even have like little tile things on our keychains now and in behind our phones so we can make it make noise anytime we lose it, right? Don't you wish we could just kind of do that with all the things that God's done in our life and say, hey, remind me of this. So I habitually forget the things that God has done in my life. And that's when, that's when doubt starts to creep in. That's when it, you start questioning, you know, what is all this? Because I forget what God did. I forget the feeling of how real God was in those moments when I could only explain that God did that. And I don't know about you guys, um, but there's specific things in my life I can think back to where it was only God. One of those is when I, I came into ministry and came on staff at Rock Harbor, I had to—I was in business, and I had to sell a business that I was 50% partner in, um, that I had been a partner of for eight years before that. And so, 
the, just the details and all the minutia of that and trying to, to sell 50% of something when you've got a partner and a partnership agreement, I look back on that and I can only say that God took care of those things because I was able to do that within two weeks of, of getting hired here. And I know you guys have stories like that. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but we know that only God was in that. Only God could have got me through that. And we have to remember those things because forgetting what he's done in us leads to forgetting what he did for us. And that's what Paul's reminding them about. Hey, let's go back and remind you of what you've experienced in Christ. Forgetting what he's done in us leads to doubting what he did for us. And I would encourage you guys to spend some time this week digging into some of that. Maybe you have written it down. Maybe you've written down those things where you can go back and say, man, that had to be you, God. There's no other way. And that's a way to build our faith in him, our belief in him. So, and Paul goes on here and he's saying, remember, you guys already know this. I already preached it to you. You've already received it. You've already responded to it. It changed you. You even stood in it saying, I'm going to stand firm on this. This is what I believe. This is where I'm at. And he's saying it even saved you. And he's reminding them what they believed in. And we see in that verse, it says it was the gospel. What is the gospel? I want to spend a couple seconds here, a couple minutes, digging into what the gospel is. Because I think we see that word all the time. We see it. I've said it already a bunch of times today. We see it in the word, um, in the Bible. And so I want to spend a little time helping us understand what the gospel is. Because I think um, with these Christian-y words, you know, that we use all the time, they can kind of begin to lose um, their meaning, the depth of of meaning and, and the luster. And so I want to bring back a little bit of that luster The first time we hear Jesus' voice in the book of Mark is in chapter 1, verse 15. He says very simply, repent and believe the good news. Jesus said himself, good news. That word good news, gospel, it comes from a Greek word, euangelion. Euangelion. That's kind of a fun word to say. You want to say it? Yeah? Okay. One, two, three. Euangelion. Right? It's kind of cool. Single people are like, I wish it was me and jellion. Right? But if we break that down a little bit more, um, we can see that the, only the single people laughed, or maybe it wasn't. Sorry, sorry, I don't know. Um, but if we break it down um, a little bit more, you see the word combines angelos, which means announcing news, and then the prefix you, which means joyful. So gospel means news that brings joy. And this clearly is not talking about daily news. I mean, when's the last time daily news brought you joy, right? I, I guess unless it's like the announcement of the iPhone XS Max. Right? The new iPhone that came out. And all you Android people were like, nope. Nope. But it means news that brings joy. And it's not that daily news. It's so much bigger than that. The, the word gospel or good news isn't just a Christian word. It's not, it was a word word way before it was a Christian word. Way before the New Testament even existed. We go way back to 490 B.C. when Persia invaded Greece. And all you guys are like, oh, yeah, I saw the movie 300. I know all about this. And that's probably not the most accurate representation of what I'm talking about here. Um, But the Greeks won these two huge battles that won them the war. It was the Battle of Marathon and the Battle of Solnus. And so after they won these two battles, they sent heralds to each city that would run from, from, from from the city of Marathon and run out to Athens. This guy did that. He ran 25 miles from uh, Marathon to Athens, Greece, and he shared this news. And yes, for all you runners, that's where Marathon came from, because you're wondering. And, you know, and the big frat Greek wedding tells us that all good words come from the Greek, right? Yeah. And so he's, this, this guy runs and he tells them, we fought for you. We have won. You're no longer slaves to Persia. You're free. 
Tim Keller writes in his book, Jesus the King, where he was actually writing about this story, and he says, a gospel is an announcement of something that's happened in history, something that's been done for you that changes your status forever. So that's what the good news of the gospel is. It's not advice. It's not how to be a better version of yourself and 10 easy steps and a couple different recipes that you cook. It's not about that. It's not even about religion. The gospel of Christianity is life-changing, life-altering news of something that's been done for you. Something that happened in history. And I think it's really, really important that we know that Paul is bringing back this gospel. Why it's so important? Because he's appealing to reason. He's not appealing to faith. He's not saying, just trust me in this. He's talking about news. He's talking about history. This life-altering news. And he continues in verse 3 to tell them what that good news is. For I delivered to you as of first importance. The most important thing I could share with you that I also received. I, have to, I had to share you this first. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. Buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared. So in your notes on your program there, the top says the life-changing, life-altering news. That Jesus lived that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus was resurrected, and that he appeared. And that's what the message of the gospel is. That's the good news. That's the life-altering, life-changing news that came. And, it, and the reason that he did all that was to bridge the gap between us and God because of our sin. So you notice there in, the, in those verses that Paul says twice, this, he said, in accordance with the scriptures, He's saying this didn't come out of nowhere. You guys know this stuff. It's been written down for hundreds of years. He's talking about the Old Testament. Hundreds of years. You guys should know this. And it's why Peter tells us in the book of Acts, not only has Christ risen, but you killed him. You killed the one that God sent to save. But he only did that because God let you. He predetermined that you would do that. So repent and believe. So he's just sharing what God's promised that he would do hundreds of years ago and he's sharing what Jesus promised exactly what would happen when he was alive on earth. So now Paul's saying, I've, I've, I've covered all this. I've reminded you of the things that you already knew, the things that you've experienced. And now if that's not enough, if that's not enough to bring up the memories of what God has done in your life, I'm going to share with you some evidence. We'll call this circumstantial evidence for any of you, you lawyers in here, okay? He tells, so he just got done saying Jesus died, he, he was buried, he was raised, and now we're going to pick up at verse 5. He says, and then he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to, the, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So Paul is saying, I can tell you that Jesus was resurrected because I saw him. But I'm not the only one that saw him. This wasn't some fantasy that I thought up or I wasn't smoking anything weird that made me see this, this Jesus walking around after he died. Other people saw him. Cephas saw him. James saw him. There were 500 gathered in one place that saw him. Some of them have died, but most of them are still alive. You can go talk to them. Go talk to them. Don't take my word for it. He's saying we talked to Jesus, we walked with Jesus, we ate with Jesus, we heard from Jesus. Let's say that I, I went golfing a couple days ago, 
wow, all you guys all of a sudden are like, whoa, I'm excited about this message now. But let's say I went golfing a couple days ago, and I, I hit a hole-in-one. And I tell my, my friend Gary over here, I say, Gary, I hit a hole-in-one the other day. You're not going to believe it. I hit a hole-in-one. And first he's going to say, well, that's impossible because I've played golf with you and you're terrible at golf, so that's not possible. And second, do you have proof? Because that's a rule of golf. You have to have proof if you hit a hole-in-one or it didn't happen, right? And I say, yeah, you can go talk to Greg. He was there. He watched the whole thing. You can go talk to Joe. He was standing right there. You can talk to the beverage cart girl. She was right driving by. She saw everybody freak out, and she, she saw it happen. You can go talk to her. You can talk to 500 people who saw it because because Gary was actually, or the, Steve was actually Instagram live in the whole thing. You can go check it out. I think we're still within the 24-hour period. It's still on my Instagram, right? And I love that Paul did this. He listed all the people that, that the resurrected Christ that Jesus appeared to. And that's where this all comes, this all comes down to, to not reason. I mean, he's using reason. He's saying that don't just have blind faith. This actually happened. Jesus actually appeared to these people who history has shown actually existed. Do you notice around Easter every year, National Geographic and Discovery, you can find on their channels a special about um, Jesus or about the resurrection of Christ. And it makes you wonder, why would, why would they show that? You know, National Geographic's never been, uh, been, been told or described of as a, as a TV network that's trying to push an evangelical Christian agenda. You know, they don't probably sit around and, and they're writing on the whiteboard, okay, how do we win more people for Christ on, uh, on National Geographic Channel this year? No, they're, they're showing a presentation about something that happened in history. And they're showing these because these presentations, because something caused a commotion back then that is documented. It's, it's history. We know that there was a commotion centered around this time period of Jesus and when he was resurrected. And so there's another article in National Geographic, um, and in that article there was a statement by a guy named Eric Myers. He's an archaeologist from Duke University. You can see what he says here. It says, I don't know any mainstream scholar who doubts the historicity of Jesus. The details have been deba- debated for centuries, but no one who is serious doubts that he's a historical figure. So I guess my question is, why does National Geographic care? Because they care about history. And historically, it's documented that there was a commotion around this time where these ordinary men who, who were even, even cowards, they were even documented to be cowards, became like these ferocious beasts for Jesus all of a sudden, willing to just die, willing to be martyred. Why would they do that? I don't think that there was like some zombie apocalypse going on that made these guys turn crazy rogue. Okay, I will never use a sentence with zombie and Jesus in the same one. I'm sorry, you guys. Forgive me for that. But it, that didn't come out of nowhere. It came because they had seen the risen Jesus. They knew what they believed because they saw it. That Christ had been risen. If you take Jesus' mother and his half-brother James, the Bible says that, th- that they worshipped him as God. They worshipped Jesus as God. I would say that fact alone should prove that, that Jesus was resurrected. Because do, can you imagine yourselves worshipping your sibling? Can you imagine yourselves worshipping your, your kids? Some of you were like, no, I would not worship my kids. Right. But James was willing to be martyred for his half-brother. They, the story goes that, that, that James that was taken up to the Temple Mount, and when he wouldn't deny Christ, they threw him off the Temple Mount. Both of his legs were broken, and then when he still wouldn't deny Christ, they stoned him until, they died, until he died. Why would somebody be willing to endure that pain? Why would somebody be willing to endure that type of a death? 
unless they know what they saw and believe what they saw. And the good news is he's not the only one. There's a whole bunch of other ones that saw it and the other ones who, who were martyred in the same way. Why would they do that? Because they saw the risen Jesus. So let's move on to verses 12 through 20. This is where Paul makes some huge statements about the resurrection. In verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead or of the dead? And this is where we see the problem. This is where we kind of scan through and we say, okay, what's the issue here that Paul's writing about? And this is where we see it. That they believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but they don't believe in the resurrection of man. And so he goes on and and he's, he's just telling them that that's a wrong way of thinking. And this is why he said, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then there cannot be, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He says, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is one of those passages where if you just read it once all the way through, you're like, okay, he just repeated himself like four times. What is he actually saying? Um, But I'm going to tell you, Paul's basically repeating himself here, and he's just saying, if you believe that people can't be raised from the grave, if you believe that people can't be raised when they die, that, that we don't spend eternity with Jesus, then you have to also believe that Jesus wasn't raised. And if Jesus wasn't raised, then everything we've preached to you is meaningless. It's pointless. We're wasting our time. It's futile. That's pointless. And he he goes on. He's saying, in fact, I'm speaking on behalf of God. I'm speaking on behalf of God. And what if I'm sharing to you isn't true? I'm misrepresenting God. And then he goes on and he says, you know what else? Those people who you love, your brothers, your sisters, your moms, your dads, your grandparents, all those people who died believing in Jesus, who you thought are going to heaven or who were raised... They're perished. They're gone. There's no, there's, no, there's no place for them to go if you don't believe that Jesus was raised. There's no, oh, they're in a better place. There's no, oh, they're in heaven now. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then nobody else is raised, and we all stay the same. That's a huge point that we have to pull out of this from what Paul is saying. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Everything that's in the Bible hinges on Jesus being raised from the dead. The validity of Christianity rises or fall on whether or not Jesus raised from the dead. Because if he rose, then he was exactly who he said he was. And he did exactly what he said he would do. And if that's the case, then we all rise because Jesus rose, because that's what he told us. But if he didn't rise, well, Paul's saying here, shame on us. Shame on you for believing in a lie. Shame on us for believing what we call today fake news. Shame on us for wasting all these Sundays gathering around here together, you know, worshiping Jesus, worshiping some guy that didn't exist. And at that point is when we would say, we're no different than any other religion. We're just following around some dead guy that had some great things to say and some good stories to share. But the thing is, is that he did rise. Wow. He did rise. Did you hear this? And that fact alone is what refutes other religions. That's what sets Christianity apart is that Jesus conquered death. 
And so Paul's saying here, this message of of the resurrection, it's not just that Jesus is resurrected. It's so will you be. It's not just that Jesus will be risen from the dead. It's so will you. And I think we can present all the history. We can go through all the evidence. And I can do that until I'm blue in the face. But at some point, you have to come to a place where you decide if you believe in it. Do you believe in this good news, this history of what actually happened, people that actually saw him. Jesus said in verse uh, in, chapter, in John chapter 11, verse 25, this is John's account of, of Jesus. This is his gospel, his good news. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he ends it with, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? He's talking to Martha. Martha's brother Lazarus had died and she's kind of crying to Jesus saying, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus says, he will rise again. And she says, well, yeah, I know. He'll rise when you come back and when we all raise up together. And then Jesus says this statement. Do you believe this? And then in uh, verse, uh, let's see here, chapter, John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, but these words are written so that you may believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there has to come a point where we make the decision, do we believe all this? We look at the facts, we look at the history, and we have to decide if we believe, but not just believe. James tells us, that anybody can do that. Even the demons believe. But we have to surrender to it. We have to surrender to it, not just believe. God doesn't just want our belief. He wants our hearts. And just because we believe in something, we believe in all kinds of things. And just because we believe in those things doesn't mean that they're going to change us. doesn't mean that we're going to be surrendered to them. And this news, that if you believe it and you receive it and you let it change you about this guy that came and lived and not just died when people come and live and die all the time we do it all the time but that he conquered death and he was raised from the dead and that he appeared back and that he will be coming again and you have to decide do i believe this it's this life-changing life-altering good news of something that actually happened bow your heads with me I mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, all of you in the room who are skeptics and you've been skeptical about all this for a long time, maybe, or you're still trying to figure it all out, or maybe you like me and you just struggle with doubt. My, my hope is that you've got something that you take home and kind of chew on today, but my prayer would be that you're not leaving here without making a decision that you feel like you've been skeptical long enough. You know, God has a funny way of doing things. I think he romances us and he kind of woos us in. It's that kind of that feeling. It's, it's the reason you're sitting here right now. It's not by chance. We have to come to a place to make a decision. And I can't share a message like this about this life-altering good news without giving you a chance to receive it. 
And if you're ready to put that guard down, you know, that guard of kind of mistrust and not knowing whether this is all right, kind of holding it at arm's distance or maybe coming every once in a while just to keep someone else happy. If it's time to put that guard down, I just want to invite you to pray a short prayer with me. Just saying, God, I admit that I need you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you did what you said you would do. And from this moment on, I want to commit my life to you and my heart to you. And I ask for you to forgive me and I receive your grace today. Amen. If you just keep your heads bowed for just a couple more seconds. I think there's a lot more of us in this room who would say we've been following Jesus for a while. And that doubt has creeped in on whether this is all real. And we've forgotten all those things that he's done in us. Those things that only he can do. And I want you to think about those things. Grab one of those moments in your life, good or bad, where God was the only answer. And think about those things. Those are what nobody can argue. Nobody can argue the experiences that we've had in Jesus. God, I just thank you for making history. Thank you for filling it with this life-changing, life-altering news of the gospel. I pray that we'd walk out of here today with full assurance and trust and belief that you are who you said you would be and you did what you said you would do. That our faith is not futile. Remind us of all those things this week as we leave here. Remind us of what you've done in our lives.